Hey folks, it's uh, David back again for the Retro Rides podcast, um, and this week we have world-class um, automotive and other photography. The photographer Amy Shaw is with us, uh, famous mainly, I guess, originally for shots from Goodwood, Event, Revival and such like, um, but that's led on to work with Jaguar Land Rover, Octane Magazine, Evo, Classic Driver, Triumph, you know, on and on and on. Um, also regular on doing... Uh, road trips, um, adventures, and an occasional bit of um, beach-based uh, motorcycle racing, um, as I understand it. So um, I'm really pleased to have her here. Um, uh, welcome, Amy. Hello. Thank you very much for having me along. Uh, it's a, it's a, a pleasure. So I'm going to start you with the traditional first question of um, uh, why cars? Why, why the interest in cars and photographing cars? Well, it, it, it is funny, really, because it started a number of generations ago, which I won't go into too much detail because it'd be a very long story. Um, but my dad is massively into cars and always has been, um, and especially classic cars. And he was into classic car restoration. He was the spray man. And um, basically uh, has always kind of been like cars have always been around us, my brother and I. Um, and then when I was uh, 19, I got my my mini that I still have, Mayo, and that was basically just to get me to and from university. I didn't know how to fix them, and I still don't really know now. But uh, that kind of started my, my love for classic cars. Um, and then, yeah, the, the photography side of things, I graduated university in something completely different, not photography at all. Um, and then friends of my dad's who we used to work for said, oh, we've, we've built this replica Ferrari P4. We just need some reference shots of it just to show our own work. Um, so they knew that I had a nice camera and they just said, would you mind taking some pictures of it? And I'd never shot a car before in my life. And that was my first experience. Um, and then roughly about the same time, my dad was like, do you want to come to the Goodwood Revival? I mean, I know you're not that into cars, but I think you'll really enjoy the atmosphere. Um, and it's maybe the second or third time we'd, we'd gone anyway. Um, and I was like, yes, I'll bring my new camera along and shoot it as well. And yeah, that's kind of how it kickstarted. And that would have been seven years ago this year. So that's long and short. <laughs> that's that's a, a, a pretty quick um, uh, experience of going from I'm going to go to Revival and take my camera to <laughs> being flown around the world to do interesting things in cars for, for uh, photography. That's that's amazing. Honestly, so, it was a, a crazy snowball. I Yeah, I, it was like hanging on to the edge of your seat as it yeah, I, I I still kind of look back now and think, man, that's that. This has gone really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, yeah. I I, I, t I talked to you, believe it or not, um, would have been twenty twelve. I spoke to you um, about coming to do um, one of our retro ride events. Oh wow! And yeah, I know. And that's a long time um, ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, it might have been twenty twelve. It must have been um, something like that. If not a little bit after, I'm it trying, I'm trying to remember now. Just after, because I think I, my first car I shot 2013, so probably yeah. Would so been, yeah. it was, it was, yeah. No, it was, it was the first set of photos I saw from the revival. That was cool. it. So it would have been 13, 14, would have been thereabouts. And we'd just moved to um, our event to Chelsea Walsh, and I was like, I saw those photographs, and I was like, this is someone that gets it, like understands how to take a photograph of an event um as opposed to taking a photograph of the cars at events like that mm. there, there's perfectly acceptable brilliant people that take photographs of cars at events but you you had sort of something else in those photographs i was like oh, i've got to got to got to see if i can get get you to this event um but between sort of like it, it did obviously it did, didn't come together because it just it, it snowballed so quickly for you it went from like oh this is a lovely set of photographs and sort of within 
from from my time frame, sort of within a year, you were like, you know, photographing for um, kind of big companies and official photographer for all sorts of things. I was like, oh yeah, that that makes sense that you wouldn't necessarily have the time <laughs> to come to our thing. Um, and that that was uh, that, that was it's been an interesting uh, experience, sort of watching uh, the the journey of of, of Amy Shaw. Um, what I was going to ask you is, your first car was your Mini. What are your current cars? Um, because you have an interesting collection of cars around the place at the moment. Yeah, it, it's funny. So um, I, so yeah, I, I got my my Mini. I think is probably officially my only car still, um, which is sadly not. I was meant to pick it up uh, tomorrow, today or tomorrow. I was meant to be going to pick it up um, from Suffolk, where it's currently had a whole engine rebuild by um, a guy called Crafted Classics Tuning, and it was yeah. So that was meant to be coming back today, but it's sadly not because of the lockdown. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's, this is quite hand, the, the handy thing about having my fiance as also a massive car nut is that we now collectively have uh, a number of vehicles. So he has the cars and I have the motorbikes. So, um, I, so it's so he's got something like, I, don't, I can't even count off the top of my head. Not, not loads, but like I don't know, three or four cars. And I've got, I think four motorcycles and, and, um, so yeah, we've also got the, uh, Land Rover Defender called Mildred. Um, which scarily is our most reliable or what we deem our most reliable car. Um, and then we have, uh, Craig has also got um, another Mini himself. His, his first car, his Mini, um, called Red Peril or Ketchup, because I've got Mayo. Um, nah. And then we've also got uh, Rupert, the, uh, the Austin 7 Chummy, which is hilarious. Um, the starter motor at the moment has broken and you can start it with the handle, but Honestly, it's like getting blood out of a stone. It's so hard to try and start it with a handle. So the easiest way we figured out how to start it is just I push it every time we want to go out and out. I just push it and off we go. So we bump start it. And then, um, yeah, I've got uh, four motorcycles um, called Hugo, Bo, Bessie and Pat. Uh, two of them live in the house. Um, and then one of them is a race bike. That's Bessie. Uh, so no, actually, correction. Three of them live in the house. And then, uh, yeah, my, my 1972 Honda is my... Um, is my newest bike, uh, which is my what I call my daily bike. But at the minute, it's less daily, as we've all experiencing in the car world. <laughs> yeah. How, how did the uh, if you started with um, minis? How did the uh, the bikes come around? That was uh, is that a yeah. later evolution, or have you always been a bit of a bike person? No, it is. It's definitely later evolution. And just before I go on, I forgot to mention the 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 the, uh, the jewel in our collection is is Craig's uh, hot rod, old red. Oh yes, very yes, well known. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. But yeah, motorbikes. So I got into bikes because I started shooting cars and. You know, from from somebody that's kind of out of the automotive world, I thought that cars and motorcycles are very closely linked. And I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe clients will kind of roll from cars into motorcycles. They're totally different worlds. So, um, yeah, I managed to get a a, a bike shoot um, for the first thing I shot bike wise was the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, which is a massive charity um, event that's run every year. And by whilst being there, I thought, huh, these people do not cross over into the car world at all. And I kind of was like they're really cool they were riding these really cool motorcycles and I kind of felt a bit left out and so um at the time I was still shooting weddings 
And so I was thought I thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to try and learn how to ride a motorcycle, I don't want to do it while I'm shooting weddings because if I like came off a bike and then you know broke my leg or something, I'd I'd feel really terrible if I couldn't shoot a wedding because uh, you know car shoots can be can be moved or you can just say I'm really sorry I broke my leg I can't come to the shoot. But weddings were a bit different, so um, yeah, it wasn't until I quit shooting weddings that I then thought right I'm going to learn how to ride a motorcycle, and then yeah, just thought to myself. Um, Oh, but it started off really because my dad's always ridden but then my mom made him stop riding when we were kids and then it wasn't until my brother turned 18 that he was like oh I'm gonna ride a motorcycle and then I was like well he's riding a bike now I want to ride a bike so I'm definitely gonna learn how to ride a bike and then it was the point where both of us were riding where my dad was like well the kids are riding I'm no longer an influence I'm gonna join in with them so yeah we've all become back to being a riding family okay. Got gone full circle. Um, exactly, yes. But I mean, the the by being able to ride a motorcycle has definitely opened up quite a lot of doors to me. And just not in terms of just photography side of things, but also you know making friends and social media side of things. Um, yeah, it's it's a really I'm really glad I've done it. I, I mean, I, I absolutely love it. And so, but even from a business point of view, riding motorcycles has ended up opening doors I didn't quite expect. So, yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting that as you say that there's that you would feel naturally from the outside that there would be a crossover between all these groups of people um, with, with sort of wheeled machines, but um, exactly. it, uh, it it seems less of a less of a melting pot than it might first appear. Yeah. I mean, even within within those sort of circles as well, sort of the classic car world and kind of the the modern car world, that there's not actually as much overlap um, exactly. as it might appear from the outside as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do notice more of an overlap between the car world and the aviation world than I do the car and motorcycle world. So, yeah, that was a, a bit of a surprise when I got here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, did you always want to be a photographer when you uh, grew up or you uh, did you have other? Well, I mean, you, you went to university or something else. So I'm assuming you had yeah. other plans. So I to, honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do at all it wasn't until I was probably 16 and I got my first camera and I thought okay I really enjoy doing this but I thought realistically um I I, I didn't think it was a job that I could do like my dream job would have been working for the National Geographic because I thought that was the only way I could travel the world and take pictures because that's all I wanted to do but I thought no one, no one can get paid to do that. So I just didn't ever really try. Because honestly, I thought it was so unachievable. I just didn't even try. Um, and then, so it wasn't until that's it, I went to university to study something else. Because I thought, okay, I don't want to study photography because I feel that I won't realistically be able to get a job in it. And I, I thought, you know, I'll just, I enjoy shooting it as a hobby. I thought I'll stick to it, uh, using it as a hobby. So I went to university to study um, metal smithing or sil silversmithing. And my intention was to go into homeware design because the course I did was also things like ceramics and textiles. And I specialized in, in the metal side of things. So I thought I would become some form of product designer for homeware. <laughs> so nice. that was yeah that was my my kind of plan and then that totally never happened <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a, I guess a regular story people have a one set of plans for themselves and, and life has a slightly different set of plans for themselves as it opens doors for you exactly uh, so uh, uh, yeah I mean it was it, that was kind of it it was an opportunity came up the you know the p4 shoot and and the revival shoot and I was just like, yeah, okay. And it was it was nice because 
I think the main thing is I, I didn't have any fear of losing out on the opportunities because I never, I was so pessimistic from the get-go. I was like, nah, anything's a bonus. So it wasn't like I was really going for something and I thought I really want to make sure this goes well because look, think of the future op- uh, like opportunities. It just never even crossed my mind. I just thought, yeah, this sounds like fun. I'll just go and do that. So um, yeah, everything was a bonus really because I thought I'd start at zero. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. There's, there's no pressure because there's nothing to lose, I guess. Exactly, that was uh, it. There was nothing to lose. I didn't have, I just graduated. I was still living at my mom and dad's. I was, you know, I didn't have like loads of bills or anything. I was, um, yeah, I was really, I was a, probably the best and only position I, I realistically could be to to not fear any of the outcomes. Um, so, yeah, I was very, very lucky. Yeah, no, it's good. It's uh, it, it, a good serendipitous um, set of circumstances. Um, but you know, you just you, you find those things in in life. Occasionally, you'll 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 look around or you look back and you go, oh, that was the perfect time for that to happen. So uh, <laughs> that was good. So you're um, I've seen uh, interviews and stuff with you before. As you say, you 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 sort of you're you're, you're well enough known that you get um, uh, people come like like myself actually. People come and talk to you, and there's interviews with you out there. And you mention influences. Um, people like Greg Williams, who is, for those that don't know, um, is kind of famous for um, photographing, um, I would say, candid celebrity shots, but they're not really candid. They're just um, very natural celebrity shots, and they're they're they're, they're beautiful shots, and and um, you can find them on on Instagram and people like that. And, and I, I didn't want to ask you for a list of your influences. I just wanna wanted to know kind of how your influences influence you. So so what do you see from your influences appearing in your work or what would you like to see appearing in your work from the people you are influenced by rather than just fans of their work if you see what I mean yeah no exactly um so for me the 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 base I mean all all of my uh the people that influence me in in my work have this connection that I think if, if I'm just trying to think I think all of them only shoot with natural light and what is there so um, I, I was, a lot of my influences uh, are conflict photographers. So you know, going into 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 war, you you do not have time to stop and set up lighting or ask people to pose or anything like that. It is grabbing that moment as you can because that's the only moment you're going to get. And I think that is incredible. I really, really do. And um, I think just the idea of documenting people's lives and not only in terms of the conflict side of things, but also the celebrity photographers, like. Um, so Harry Benson is, is another one of mine who's a an early, much earlier celebrity photographer and hung around with the Beatles for many years. And I, I love his work. And I, I used to read his books even before I, I owned my own camera, I think. Um, so all of them have this thread of natural light and natural moments. Um, and that's kind of what I try to carry on in my own work. And the thing about being a, an, in the automotive world and the automotive photography world is a lot of things are set up and it's it can sometimes be difficult to try and counter that with the way of that I like to work. So this is why I love things like the Goodwood Revival and road trips, because they are things that just happen and you just have to be watching everything all the time to be able to get the right moment. The minute somebody says to me, oh, we need this car to be photographed and, uh, you know, we, we just like it to be more like a setup studio type thing or not studio, but, you know, on, on location. I mean, it's great and I really enjoy it, but they're the ones that I definitely feel like I don't excel at personally because I think it's it's just different to the way I like to work. 
Um, so yeah, my favorite images that I've produced have been the ones where they are just whatever you can shoot at that moment and really hopefully try and tell a story more so than this is a beautiful car in a beautiful location that we have put there. Does that make sense? That makes, that makes complete sense. (laughs) Um, that, uh, in fact, in some ways, I think that is, um, part of the difference in your photography, um, when it sort of first started appearing on the, on the scene as it were, um, (laughs) <laughs> was the, 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 I mean, I'm not a great photographer by by any. I'm not even a good photographer by any stretch of the imagination. But when I would go to events, I would document the cars that were there. Like here's here's like the you know 30 cars that I enjoyed at this event. <laughs> Whereas your um, photography was much more around um, around the atmosphere of the event, and it, it there was there, there there were not many people taking uh, photographs of that type at that time. Now there have progressively be more and i suspect that's partly your influence <laughs> um and um and, and i think also actually some of the wider accessibility of photography as well has brought people along that want to tell a different story than you know which particular rare car or whatever was at, at certain events so, so that's kind of it, it's interesting that your influences come from a world of documentary photography and, and natural light versus uh, coming from a world of sort of studio photography and and um, you know that kind of fairly well established way of photographing automotive stuff um so so from covering an event like goodwood or even like a travel trip or or, or some some other thing, how many shots will you be taking on a daily basis because obviously we only ever get to see the ones you 've picked out to say <laughs> the, these are, these are the good ones so how many shots are you taking wow okay so um when I, especially when I first started out, I think I took a lot more than I do now. I've got to a point now where I can definitely pick and choose my shots a lot easily, uh, yeah, a lot more easily. But um, I, on a, an average day, I would say at Goodwood, I get upset if I've not shot uh, more than kind of 1,500 to 2,000 images a day. I think, on an event. Um, it's easier when you have got something that's a bit more set up because you can take your time and choose your shots a lot more. But when it is down to something that is, you know, a moment happening and you're not going to get that back, um, yeah, I definitely overshoot. I think the most shots I've come from any shoot at all would probably be one of my earliest revivals, which was something like six or 7,000 shots over the course of three days, or I think it was, Um yeah, and then I probably, the, the, the images that I come out with at the end, initially, when I, again, first started out, was probably somewhere between 10 and 20% of what I shot. Now I've managed to get that number up to about 40%, I think, roughly. Um, yeah, so it's it, it ends up being like my edited selection, I would roughly say about 600 images a day, if that makes yeah. yeah. I think a yeah, lot of works out. <laughs> that, that, that's more than I initially take at an event. It, <laughs> but but it's it, it's interesting. It it it, it from um that there's uh, an interesting difference. And and for people that are doing car photography and, and event photography in general, um, there's a lesson there in that you're um if you're constantly shooting, you're constantly looking for the next shot. And I think that that actually encourages you to be a bit more creative in some ways. Um, I, I know that I found uh, recently um, with, with with another friend of mine, we, we were trying to not just take like two or three shots of a car. We'd take like sort of 10 or 15 of an individual car. Mm. And by, by the fifth or sixth shot, I was having to get much more creative than ordinarily I would. And I think <laughs> if you're it, what, what you're you're doing as well as 
obviously your natural eye and the, the, the light and everything which, which we'll come on to is that you're if you're taking that many shots you're forcing yourself to move and find them um and that's that's i suspect probably a, a good lesson for for people that are in, getting interested in this stuff to learn exactly you, you, yeah, you know, no, it's, it's not the wrong thing to take loads of photos. It's actually probably more the right thing. Yeah, exactly. It's um, because as soon as you've got your initial, like, the, there is always going to be the best angle of a car. Like for me, I love that that front three quarter look. And once you've got that, and you kind of think, okay, well, what next? And it it is that as you, as just as you said, that moving around and trying to figure out, okay, well, what happens if I put something in the foreground, whether it's another car or a person, or if you've got some greenery. Um, one of my most, uh, one of the most, I think, difficult shoots I've had to do in, in recent years is I had to shoot for Pirelli tyres at the Geneva Motor Show uh, a couple of years back, last year, a couple of years back. And it was basically tyres on a stand in a hall that had no light. So I thought, hmm, okay, how are we going to get creative here? Because I, I knew that also I was going to be posting some of these pictures onto social media. And it, that suddenly was like, okay, I really need to push these boundaries of what I can find. So I went onto the other stands that were surrounding the Pirelli stand to try and find bits of uh, like glass that was that were reflective that I could, you know, use something that could get some interesting light going. Or it was it was suddenly a real push to try and find these creative points. And it's the exact same as when you're trying to look at a car. But um, yeah, just trying to make something creative and interesting out of whatever you have around you really makes you think rather than having the ability just to be like, let's just shoot in the golden hour and we'll have it at this angle, at this height, and we'll, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's, see, that, that's one of the interesting uh, things. So, so photography is only really two things. It, it's, it's a frame and it's the light in that frame. Yes. Um, and um, it, it, it's quite an interesting uh, leveller. Um, I've said this, in fact, I said this to Larry, if, you, if people listen to the last podcast. It's interesting going to the same event. And in fact, I used you as an example. Um as somebody as another photographer because you can take the same photos broadly speaking you know mm -hmm. equipment aside and all that because it's just the frame and the light and it, it's um it, it's super interesting seeing what people come back with from an event that you may or may not have gone to um you know like if, if you if you went to that event and uh you tried to take the same picture of the same car as as me for example uh, my pictures would be completely different to yours um not saying i mean obviously they're likely to be better from yours <laughs> but i'm just saying from, from from depending on what we're trying to achieve with our photographs we will take completely different photos and, and i think um that that sort of information about you kind of like scouting around the uh, pirelli stand trying to find you know the reflection and the light you seem to use light a lot in your photographs yeah it, um, definitely and it, it's difficult when there is none like if it's a really gray re revival i struggle <laughs> but uh, but that's when you get so I, I try to teach people that if you haven't got light and i have to remind myself when i get to a point like this work with either uh, with colors and shape so um yeah it's those three aspects light color and shape that i really try and um use to to create the images that i like that's a that's a, a, a good tip <laughs> to say the <laughs> least um so when you're assessing the shots that you've got back from your you know thousand fifteen hundred whatever it is shots you you, you brought back from a day out um an event or doing a shoot um how are you assessing them as, as you're i'm um, assuming you're using some light box software lightroom something like yep. that and you're and you're you're flicking through them what makes you stop on an image and go right that's on the shortlist to to edit further 
So I basically shove everything into Lightroom and then um, I, I will flag it a colour. So I flag it red if I like it and then, yeah, I leave it blank if I don't. And I'm quite, I'm now quite quick at it, but I think it's because I'm quite brutal. So if, <laughs> if an image doesn't strike me initially as I want to look further into that image or, um, yeah, just look at it for longer than a split second, then it's probably just gone. I just look at it. Or if I'm a bit, conf like, if I'm not too sure about an image, I think what is interesting out of this is there an interesting person in it is there an interesting car or an interesting moment and if there's none of those things I'm just like it's just a bog standard shot of a thing and so I think nah I just get rid of it and um, sometimes I will shoot the same moment um, I might shoot either 10 to 20 frames of the same moment so I then have to kind of think okay which is the best moment or best two or three shots out of this set um, so I, I don't know if there's an image of mine which I love and I, I post about it quite regularly. Um, it's in the Goodwood paddocks where there's a, like a, a diagonal shaft of this misty light. And that moment I probably shot on both my cameras on, on different lenses of, yeah, about 20 frames. And there's that one shot that I think, you know, that to me is the shot. And I think I saved maybe two or three shots from, from that moment. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm just quite brutal, really. And I just think if that doesn't grab my attention for longer than a split second, and I'm the person that, that took that, and I should like that shot, then, who, <laughs> you know, other people I, I can't expect would like it. Um, or not that I shoot for other people at all, but I just think about it being an image, you know, the idea is that you show a photograph to other people. Not all the time, but that's my intention. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's the, the legitimate way of of looking at it. Um, it. It's a Marie Kondo esque. Does it bring you joy? Yes. No, then get rid of it. <laughs> Basically, yes. Um, and does, yeah, does it bring me joy? Does it bring me interest? And uh, yeah. if it doesn't, then I'm just like, this is just. So that's the other thing about cars. Sometimes I get sucked into photographing what is a considered a nice shot of a nice car. And then I think to myself, well, no, it, it is it is a nice shot of a nice car, but it is a boring shot of a nice car. And so that's the thing that I think tries to make me um, either shoot a little bit uh, differently or, or try to basically, yeah, just to try to, to stand out from what I deem boring car photography, which yeah. there is so much of. And this is the reason I never even considered photographing a car before I got into car photography myself. I, I only ever saw what I, con I considered being, not being interested in cars at the time, boring shots of cars. Um, if you love cars, obviously that is a completely different look. You think, oh man, that's you know that's amazing. I love the design of that of that machine, but because it wasn't my interest when I started, I was looking for that emotion and that atmosphere. And the first person that I saw that did that and that got me interested in cars and car photography was Laurent Naval. Um, and I don't know if you've, you've seen his his work, but it's um, stunning. It really makes you think you know cars can be cool and it's because he doesn't just photograph the cars and i think that was what really inspired me initially yeah, yeah. I, I think um uh, yeah uh, I, I agree on all points um as, per, <laughs> as a as, as a person that is a boring car photographer by choice <laughs> not 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 through uh i i, t I take non-boring photos when i don't take pictures of cars um but um it, it's um it is a different um a different discipline or a different atmosphere that, that you're trying to do it's the difference i think between um documenting the vehicle and documenting the experience which I, i've sort of said a couple of times now but I, I think that anybody listening to this that wants to either try something different with their photography or maybe would like to get into photography for car stuff then um you, you can choose to do either of those two things they're, but they're very slightly different skill sets um and getting the the candid moments at events is um uh 
always interesting to me and and it's little things like um you know people putting their their helmet on a, a runner board or something and and then you 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 see that and you capture that so is your eye constantly looking around for those things or are you just shooting enough that because you're sort of shooting you're like oh there's that and go or or is the camera down you're looking for the moment and then you pick the camera up and go for it most of the time I'm looking for the moment so um I'll, I'll usually at an event you, if you spot me I'll be running somewhere or walking rather fast <laughs> or if it's at the end of the day I'll be yeah just like hiding around a corner waiting for to, to just basically watching I, I watch um people I watch many people a lot of the time and um so I think I've, I've spoken in another kind of um interviews because there's something I do is I watch for for people who are especially pushing cars or if I see someone running I look to where they're running towards and I try and like like a, like a, a bit like a game of chess where you try to plan forwards your your move I think okay they're going to run over there what what is going to happen at that point and I try and prepare myself for that moment um and then other things I am just looking for like you like you said you know the helmet on the side I'm like okay that what part of the story does that does that tell Sometimes I'll shoot what I think is, a, is going to be a good shot and I'll pick my camera, put it to my face, t- click the shutter. And then I think, oh, that was actually quite a boring shot. I don't know really why I bothered. <laughs> it's, um, and then sometimes I grab my camera just to shoot something that's happening. I think, oh, that's quite a nice moment. And then it's not until afterwards I look through the shots in, in Lightroom and I'm like, oh, no, actually, that's that's got, got a lot more into it than I than I initially thought. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, actually, in post-processing, do you ever surprise yourself? Do you, do you look at your picture and go, oh, I've done this. <laughs> Actually, sometimes, yes. Not all the time, which, uh, yeah. So, but every now and then I will think, huh, I quite like that, actually. And then I get <laughs> surprised myself. <laughs> um, and so, because the other time, is now, now it is mainly, you know, I'm shooting because I think what I'm shooting is it, going to be a, a nice shot. And so mm. when I get into post-processing and I think, actually, no, that's a really boring shot. Why did I think that? I just, yeah, it never get, never sees the light of day past that moment. Um so, uh, so yeah, no, it's 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 mainly mainly looking and watching and watching people, um, and yeah, just looking for for those moments really. That uh, uh, excellent. I, I have a question um, from Larry Chen. So I've been chaining questions through these podcasts from the first one since we started back. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> and I and I'm prefacing this by saying this is from Larry. Um, <laughs> what are your settings? Oh man. Okay. Settings. So initial, so if, if I was, so I shoot on manual setting, uh, for the whole time, but I, so auto, auto focus, but manual kind of settings. Um, and aperture is my, my go-to number first. So I like to shoot, but somewhere between 1.4 and, I don't know, 2.8, depending on what I'm shooting and how close I am and stuff like that. And then it's the either the the shutter speed and the ISO will alter depending on that number. So if you were shooting in aperture priority mode, that will all be sorted out for you. But sometimes I kind of want to get a bit of movement. So say I'm shooting um, like driver changes on at, at the members meeting. They have a like their more evening race and there's a driver change and I love it because the light is not bright anymore. It's quite, it's actually getting quite uh, the sun's getting quite low and, and quite dark. And I have to slow my shutter down, but I don't want to bump my ISO up too high because I want the shutter to be ever so slightly too slow to be able to capture those slight blurs of movement to try and get that in in the in the photograph. So my aperture is still kind of you know wide open, but um, yeah, I, I want to have the control over the shutter and, and that movement that I get from it. 
Um, so yeah, then ISO is probably the one I like to move the least, but that's just f- simply from fear of going too high from my previous old <laughs> camera days, I think. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'd rather slow my shutter right down than put my ISO up too high. Um, but yeah, it, it, shooting at such a wide aperture definitely helps for sure. And you know, on, on the, the nickel lenses, they're, they're cracking lenses. So yeah. Um, it's yeah, I'm not I'm not scared to to shoot at 1.4. And it does mean that sometimes my shots are not always crystal clear, but I don't mind because I know that they still portray that moment perfectly. And with either a little bit of help of sharpening in post-production, I mean, if it's really bad, then I think, no, I've just got to get rid of it and I'll get really annoyed that I've missed the shot. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> But otherwise, no, I, I do probably shoot at between 1.4 and 1.8 quite, uh, quite a lot, I think. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I for for listeners, um, I will briefly pause the um, camera nerdery. Um, we will return <laughs> to it um, because I love it. Um, but um, uh, I'm going to go on to uh, road trips and stuff because you do a bunch of them. Um, oh, love them. And yeah, it seems to be uh, be one of the things you uh, you enjoy most, both about your job and and living in this world we live in. Um, so. Uh, it would be trite to ask you your favourite uh, road trip. So, uh, what's your favourite road trip? <laughs> um, oh man, it's so hard. So, I think one of my favourites would ha- have to be. Um, I took Craig away for his birthday with, you know, I borrowed a Mercedes two hundred and eighty SL, um, and just driving through Scotland when it's a little bit rainy, a little bit cold, in an open top car with your, you know, your woolly hat on, your scarf, and. I just, ah, oh, the feeling and the light, I absolutely love. That, I think, because, so we went, yeah, we went to Scotland in, um, it would have been mid to late September. And autumn is my favourite time of year to shoot. The light's perfect. The colours are amazing. And uh, Scotland is my favourite place, I think, in the world. So, um, oh, yeah, that probably fantastic. be, yeah, my, my favourite um, my favorite sh- uh, road trip. But th- th- it's difficult because then you have ones, like, bigger ones, like... Um, with a uh, classic mini we we drove last year from Athens to Oxford and you just think that's an incredible journey and you know I did it with with these amazing people and we got to meet some incredible people along the, along the way of all the mini clubs and you just think I'm never gonna I'm never gonna forget that that trip and yeah I, yeah I, there, there are so many road trips I could I could talk about that I that I truly love so, so in in general, what would make what oh, I guess what makes the perfect? That's a, a even more trite <laughs> question. Um, what 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 makes a, a good road trip? I'm thinking actually more for. I mean, you've got experience of doing these things. Again, people kind of well, like once we're allowed out to play again, um, yeah. We're, we're, people will be planning road trips and thinking about them, maybe even their first or or, or doing a, another couple. So, as somebody that's experienced in them, what kind of makes a good road trip or or an adventure in your car or or on your bike for you? What what's what what would not not tips so much as but for you, what would make a what makes a good okay. um, experience of that? So this might be a funny one, but to an extent, the element of fear. So. For me, driving a classic car a long way is that element of fear. You have no idea if you're going to break down and what you're going to do if you break down or, you know, what situation that's going to going to give you. Um, and I think having – so if if not the classic car, if you're doing it in a, even in a modern car, going somewhere or a distance that you think to yourself, oh, okay, well, is my car going to be able to make that or – um, I don't know, it's just something that brings you that little adrenaline rush for me is, is the thing that makes an amazing road trip because the difference between 
I think a holiday and an adventure is the element of fear and things going wrong. If it's if nothing goes wrong, it's just a holiday. If things go wrong, it's an adventure. And or, or the chance of things to go wrong, should I say. You don't always want things to go wrong. You definitely don't want things to go wrong. But there are there, there are yeah, otherwise it's um yeah, I, I don't know. So for me, one one of the things I my first kind of proper road trip that I deemed a road trip and not a holiday was um I went to Scotland in my in my mini on my own. So, you know, Scotland is, uh, I was in the UK, it wasn't a scary distance or place or anything like that. But the fact I was going on my own in a classic car, and I didn't know, I still don't know loads about how to, you know, if I broke down on the side of the road, I got some tools, but I think, oh, I don't, I can't do a whole head gasket change on the side of the road. Um, so I think for me, that was the element of fear that brought that adventure. It doesn't have to be anything scary, but um, yeah, I think just the, that adventure side of things. Uh, Amy Shaw and the uh, frisson of danger. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, otherwise, road trip wise, um, it just you you have you're in that car for a long time. So I would personally say go in something that you really love. Um, so a classic car for me is a road trip. Like if I if I can do road trips in, in newer cars, it's just more of a I don't know luxurious, which is some people may love. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I, the, the, the longest road trip I did in, in a newer car would have been a Toyota Hilux, um, which is a funny trip. I went with my mom, my dad, um, my brother and his now wife. And th- this is a tip for road trip. Don't go with five people because <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. But all of you are in very close. Um, you're, you're very close. And however well you get on, there will be arguments. And people want to stop at some points. And people don't want to stop. The less amount of people you have, for me, the, the, the nicer it is because... I loved that trip, but it was definitely a, a, there were definitely points where some of us were like, no, I just need my own space now. Um, so yeah, I think if you just go you and somebody else, that is, that's awesome. Unless you can really, really get on with the people you're with because you <laughs> you're together a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I should imagine if the uh, guys that came to uh, SEMA with me are uh, listening, um, they realize that spending five or six days with me is probably less pleasant than it might first appear <laughs> because, because you get on each other's nerves. And yes. if you're traveling and something goes wrong, then um, yeah, be, be with someone uh, you can definitely get on with for, for a, a, a decent amount of time. seems like an absolutely top tip. Um, exactly. But I think that's also the good thing about motorcycle uh, road trips is that you kind of are on your own quite a lot, especially if you're not talking to each other in Bluetooth headphones. You do have that that kind of space on your on your own and it doesn't feel overwhelming. So when doing um, the, the the Great Mali Rally, we there was about, I don't know, 100 riders, but you never felt like you were overwhelmed. You just had these bits that you you all knew you were going to stop and yeah it just made it a lot smoother i think in in that sense yeah the you talk about the uh, the frisson of danger on a trip i suppose is the difference between like a grand tour and an adventurous road trip yes like a grand a, a grand tour will be something where you would expect to be able to reach your hotel at the end of it and <laughs> the, the other one you might end up camping by the roadside while you try to work out how to fix your car exactly and both, both different experiences yeah but which one are you going to remember and tell when you know your, your grandkids it's like yeah i think the, the stories that I, my dad tells me about his road trips I'm, usually i've not been like oh dad what's the the easiest road trip you've ever done I, I don't think I've ever asked him that I've been like dad what's been the scared you know most scared you've ever been on a road trip and he's talking about 
motorbike trips where they've got flat tires on mountains where there's not a, a town for three hours or something like that and I'm like wow what did you do and that is the thing that you know makes you excited to hear about road trips and want to do road trips yourself but it makes me feel excited <laughs> yeah no definitely uh, the um have you looked at or thought about doing things like Paris to Peking or have you actually even oh. done Paris to Peking I have not done it, but I would love to do it. And I actually met somebody, one of the organisers, uh, this year at um, at Retromobile, and I, I was like, "Oh, can I uh, can I have your card?" And so we, uh, <laughs> I definitely wanted to, to make sure that that person knew about me because I would love to do it. I think that'd be an incredible trip. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, to answer your question, no, I've not done it, but would love to. I, I will keep a lookout for the uh, photographs emerging from the trip when you eventually get on it. <laughs> Um, so if you were planning um, uh, a trip, would you start with the car or would you start with the destination? Because obviously the right car in the right destination, talking about your um, Scotland trip, seems to be the key to having it all come together perfectly. But wh- where would you start? Um, that's a tough one. It, 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 I think it depends. So I, oh, I was meant to be over kind of now, right now, I was meant to be on a massive road trip around Ireland, around the, um, the Wild Atlantic Way. And I knew I wanted to go and do that location in a car. And then I was going to figure out the car afterwards. But then sometimes, like later in this year, hopefully, um, I, it's my 10th my year of owning my Mini. So I decided that, okay, I've got the car. I want to go and do another road trip. So I'm planning to go from the most populated place in the UK to what I can consider the, the most remote place in the UK that I can get to in my car. And so that's kind of happened the, the opposite way around. Um, so I think most of the time it would be, um, it, it depends what, what makes you, what makes you happy. Do you want to go to a place and see a place or have you got a vehicle that you love and you want to spend more time in and driving? Um, so you can easily go from it from, from both sides. I don't think there's, there's either one's a, the right or wrong answer. That's, um, that's perfectly, yeah. Uh... Uh, legitimate way again i've used perfectly legitimate a number of times in this conversation and i need to stop um, but i've got to i've got to keep doing it now it will be one of my things fine yeah it's perfectly legitimate um so actually i'm going to use one of my emergency questions here um but not out of an emergency just because um, it dovetails nicely what is the um scariest uh car you've been in is the uh, is the question but also scariest moment on a road trip would also work and that could be like scariest car could be something that was shockingly fast and you're a passenger in and you did not enjoy this or something that feels like it's about to fall apart any of those things oh man that's a that's a that's a tough one i think because the thing is the 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 speed doesn't really scare me i think the speed with some uh, because usually whenever i've had to go uh, whenever i've gone really fast in a car it's been with a professional racing driver so i've just managed to enjoy it to the full um so i got to a a a ferrari got me a, a um a seat up the hill at festival of speed and i was with sam bird and i just that was just wicked fun because i had no fear whatsoever i just knew i was with somebody that was totally safe and i could enjoy it um i think the uh, the biggest fear on a oh i know what a big fear on a road trip not, not really a fear but it was more of a oh no i really am stuck at this point i don't know what to do was uh, we craig and i were driving to denmark to go and pick up his hot rod old red and it got to, um, we at the time had borrowed a van and a trailer and the initial van and trailer that we'd agreed to borrow, we could drive with our normal UK driving licenses. 
the day that we went and picked this van and trailer up, they were like, oh, sorry, we didn't have the, uh, the, the trailer and the van that you needed. So um, we've got you a bigger van, a bigger trailer. And we we're like, crap, we don't technically have the ability to, uh, to you know, we haven't got the license to drive this. And we're like, we'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so we, we left the next day and um, we got to, we just got over on the ferry, got to Germany and it was about 11 o'clock at night. And we thought, right, we'll just do it for a little bit longer for another you know hour and then we'll, we'll, we'll stop. Um, but yeah, we'll stop somewhere. And this one night of the year, uh, the German police pull over every single car on that stretch of motorway um, and check all of their documents, their insurance, their, everything. So, um, yeah, they saw that we didn't have the licenses and they were like, we are going to, it was me that was driving at the time we got pulled over. And they were like, we're going to fine you, I think it was 500 euros and you're not allowed to drive away from this car park for the night. And honestly, there were, there were hundreds of people there with, with uh, you know, sniffer dogs, helicopters, TV camera crews. And I was like, crap, what do we do now? We're stuck in Germany in a car park and with nothing around, what are we going to do? At the time, we'd just got back from Hong Kong and Craig had got a severe chest infection. So he was really poorly at that time as well. And we had to sleep in this van and I think it was in March, so it was was not warm. And I had to go to um, to Instagram and I was like, help, we are stuck in <laughs> Germany can any has anybody got this license driving license can you fly out to our this nearest airport I, you know i will fly you out um and can you drive us up to denmark and back to the uk and i, I it's crazy that you know the power of social media because um yeah i somebody that i'd met at an event about two months previously for honestly about 15 minutes I chatted them was like yeah I've got the license I'm free let's go and I was like thank you so yeah we uh the next morning we slept in the van overnight and um yeah unhitched the the trailer from the uh, from the van I drove the van went and picked up this practically stranger to then come and drive us to the rest of the 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 trip to, to Denmark and back which was about another five five days of driving I think and yeah we've, yeah. we've been friends with him ever since and he, he's such an awesome guy so. I say that, that, that's, a, that's a friend for life right there like somebody exactly. that flies out to Germany to help you pick up a car that's exactly. amazing so I still feel like we need to pay that that forward so I've not had the opportunity yet where something's come up for somebody else to, for us to help but I definitely owe the the universe a favor yeah. <laughs> karma is is now in in your in, you're in debt into your karma exactly uh, uh, yes that's uh that's fantastic uh, what, what was, again power of social media and, yeah. and sort of the, the community around car stuff really it's uh it's always interesting to me um to see the lengths people will go to for other people that they barely even know from from the internet you know it's exactly. uh yeah and i mean also for people like um like the obviously we've got minis and mini clubs and if you are in a club or, or not even in a, in, a, in a club but if I was stuck somewhere on the planet and I was like, crap, my mini's broken down, I need some help. The, the, this commu community of mini owners will jump to help you. And it's so lovely that it, in, the, in the car world, I think if you're either in the car world with your own car or the motorbike world, you all have this sense of community to help one another out. And I don't know, I don't know how many other kind of communities of, of, um, of hobbies have got that connection. Um, yeah, yeah it, 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 I think it's partly because of the the, the fact that cars and, and motorbikes are there for traveling. Mm. So 
you kind of like they're, they're going to get everywhere and so yeah. people the people are everywhere as well and it's it, uh or or they're they're just super passionate about these things but that's a that's a wonderful story i love it um so um what is or who actually probably who is amy shaw when you're not working when you're not a <laughs> photographer what, what are you Oof. what are you doing um Mainly, well, that's a good question right now because at the minute I feel like I've stopped being a photographer for a little while. So, um, so we we genuinely, to my absolute core, you know, Craig and I love our cars and motorcycles. So we are still definitely car and motorcycle people, and I will still bring a camera with me when we go out, and um, you know, if we go and see friends, uh, I'll still bring a camera with me. So it's still I do still consider it a hobby, which I'm really pleased about. Um, but otherwise, we're quite massively, especially at the moment now we have time, we're quite into our uh, health and fitness. I'm constantly right. reading articles about how to, like, how to keep fit and being a photographer on my health has dramatically declined because of it. <laughs> I mean, I have enjoyed many, many wonderful restaurants and, you know, lots of <laughs> lovely wine and, uh, but, and sitting down in many road trips, but it doesn't do well for your waistline. So, um, uh- I kind of find the the um, opposite actually. Uh, we're not not that it makes me fit, but it, it breaks me down in the other way. So when you're covering like three or four days at an event, by the time you get to the Monday afterwards, um, just everything's broken. Your back hurts, oh, aches because you're carrying around heavy cameras and and everything. Is that is that a thing you're finding? Yeah, absolutely knackering, and especially uh, so. I've got a bit of an issue with my shoulder that I, I had to for quite a long time get sports massages every five weeks to try and pummel my shoulder because you know I carry my cameras on using a harness and it definitely definitely I can feel it by the end of end of the week and of of a long shoot and it's um yeah physically I kind of it, it concerns me because I do think to myself all right if I'm going to do this until I retire if I ever retire what's my you know 60 year old body going to be able to carry <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. um, I, I probably have to go definitely into a lot more mirrorless because the DSLR is definitely he- heavy um so yeah no but it's yeah I'm physically drained by the end of it and all I want to do is sleep I think the, the most I've ever slept is after my first um festival of speed four days at you know start waking up at five thirty six in the morning and shooting till 10 at night or something because we'd also have to shoot the the evening parties as well so there'd be quite a lot of big you know meals and dinners at the, at the Goodwood house and um yeah that became they were the lo- long long days <laughs> yeah that, that that's a kind of the the almost hidden side of photography is that you you're, you're carrying these big weights around with you and um it sort of destroys your back and your, your legs yes. and your shoulders oh it's in my knees the problem is, is oh, yeah. I, that's why i like like getting quite low for my shots yes. and so yes. i do a squat <laughs> down and then i try to get back up again i'm like oh that wasn't that wasn't very good form. <laughs> so, yeah my i think my knees are going to be the thing that will screw me over in the future <laughs> yeah yeah no that that's that's a familiar story <laughs> um yeah it's um it's hard work, but uh, but yeah. So, how do you cope with um, shooting at busy events? I mean, you're actually there's a, there's a, a an associated question to this, I guess. Is you're a celebrity photographer? Your face is out there; people see you. Um, how is that being out in a crowd, trying to do your job, with that being a thing? It's so initially it was like really cool. I was like, oh my god, I just got noticed, and that was like cool. And it's I still love talking to people who you know really like my work, and it genuinely warms my heart. The only issue sometimes is if I'm so you know 
I don't, I don't know if you get this, but you can get creative block or you've not quite warmed up ready for the day. So especially if I've, I've just arrived at a revival, and it's like kind of the, the Friday morning. I'm not ready to like, I'm not, I don't feel I'm, I like the photographs that I'm taking up to that point. And so I'm really just trying to get into the groove of it. And if I, and not only people who can I follow my work, but also, you know, I've got such a, a massive um, network of friends as well that I want to stop and talk to. And I, I do end up wanting to, talk, wanting to talk to people quite a lot, but it means that my warming up of, you know, kind of creativity slows and I do get, I get a bit stressed, a bit nervous. I think, oh, I'm not creating good stuff here. Um, so that can be a little bit difficult. And sometimes I, I feel really horrible because I might have to cut a conversation a little bit short or, mid-conversation I'm still flicking my eyes around because I'm looking for those shots still because I, I do not want to miss a moment and I feel rude I feel, I feel actually quite rude to and I, I and yeah that makes me feel really bad and um so yeah I, when I have the time to stop and chat to people I really love it but sometimes I have to just be a bit short and I, I feel terrible <laughs> afterwards because <laughs> I'm like I'm really sorry I've got I've just got to run and get the shot and um yeah, it's yeah. not that I don't value their time. I really genuinely do, but I I, I also stress out about my work quite a lot. So. Yeah, I, for, from my point of view, um, again, people that, that may or may not be listening to this that come to the our events, if you see me at an event, I'm stressed um, <laughs> because... <laughs> Because I, I, I'm uh, uh, um, uh, particularly obviously when I'm organising and I'm always on my way to do something else, yes. usually that's, that's that's unplanned or stressful. So um, uh, similar to you, I, it's not that I don't wish to stop and talk to people. It's um, more that uh, there's something else going on in my brain that I need to deal with right now. <laughs> Otherwise, exactly. the day's going to get worse. Exactly. Yes. And I think the thing is as well, like um, a, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, we'll grab a, a cup of coffee at, at Revival. For, I keep going back to Revival, but it's, you know, it's the that's yeah. the main kind of way I work and I just think to myself I would really I, I'll, I'll try I'd really love that but most of the time I do not stop when I'm at these events purely because I feel this this pressure I don't think anybody puts this pressure on me I think I put it on myself to try and get the best shots that I can and that does mean you know to, to get 2,000 shots in a day you really don't stop you have no. to keep going and if I finish a day and I think to myself yes I spoke to quite a lot of people and I enjoyed that but I didn't produce the amount of photographs or the quality of photographs that I, I'm happy with that's an issue so I think okay tomorrow I'm going to go into that and and make sure that I crack on with with the photographs and because at the end of the day, I'm still choosing for a client and I want my client to be happy. And um, yeah. it's not just about what I produce, but I think to make sure that I'm getting, you know, ticking off their brief as well. And um, yeah, it's not until usually kind of Sunday afternoon, that I think, okay, everything is got now. I can kind of wind down a little bit and I'm usually really tired by then. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. But by the point at which you can actually talk to people, you, you just want to curl up in a a hotel room or something somewhere exactly. and go to sleep exactly so uh no i've got quite a lot of racing driving friends that is really lovely because they're, they're like just you know when you get tired and you just want to sit down and hide just come and have a cup of tea with us and then sometimes that's what i do do just because then i can just sit and not i don't have to even have to speak to them i can just have a cup of tea and sit and just look through my own photographs and think okay so i've got that i've got that it's kind of like a, a reassessing of of my images that i've got already that's a sort of small meditative moment to yes, have a look exactly. at these things. So <laughs> how, how do you cope in the, the crowds as well? So as someone that takes, um, and, and I'm not saying this as a, uh, as a massive negative against me, but someone that takes boring car photographs, <laughs> um, it, it, um, it, it, it's, it's difficult when you're in a very crowded setting. And um, 
obviously your photographs very much kind of lend themselves to that but is there a point at which it's it's too much there's, there's too many people in, in in a in a situation or are you able to cope with that how do you deal with crowds really yeah i think um one of the the, the events which i start to struggle a bit more now with because of that is uh, the bist heritage sunday scrambles um I saw them initially when they first started and nobody, well, not nobody, but, you know, very few people showed up and it was, um, it was really cool, but also difficult in that way to, to make it look like an interesting event. And then there was this beautiful uh, like part in between as they, as they grew, where there was the perfect amount of people and, you know, the perfect amount of space. And then they've become, I mean, they're, they're, they're really awesome. So they've naturally become very popular and now it's quite difficult to try and get clean shots of cars. So either you can wait until the crowds disperse after the event or get there early when there's not very many crowds. Most of the time I try to get there early. So there's that perfect level still. Um, but otherwise, it's generally uh, just trying to shoot, having people in the foreground, waiting for those gaps. Um, if it has to be a part of a shoot uh, or a shot where there aren't no people around at all. So I did a shoot with, um, with Charles Leclerc uh, in Portofino in Italy which was really cool, but there were quite a lot of crowds. And so I had to have, like, Craig came with me and I had an editor and a journalist and they kind of kept the crowds away for, like, honestly, about 10 seconds where I got a shot of Charles with the car and then whoomph, all the crowds would come back again. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it can be quite difficult. But, I mean, the thing I try to say is use it to your advantage. And that's – I try to, you know, use people's legs in photographs and have their their their, their legs maybe cover half of a car or focus on the legs instead because that's more interesting and you can get the essence of people looking at that car without needing to photograph that moment um, as a whole, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah no, that, that definitely uh, that definitely makes sense. So you, uh, you have a very distinctive style, um, and as I say, there, there's more – more photographers doing it now and I, I think that's genuinely a good thing for and perhaps uh it, it i don't know if it's upsetting uh, from your <laughs> point of view because because people are now start, trying to sort of take your style copy your style but from a, an external point of view it, it it's a more interesting set of photographs will come out of any given event now because um people are taking these more naturalistic photos um did you develop that style um it, or, or is it just how you've always shot because you said you did weddings and, and it's it is a very almost wedding style of photograph you know t taking photographs of, of in a sort of candid manner with the natural light in it within a place it, it's very much um a skill i think that wedding photographers bring um when, when they're taking photos so uh, that how did that come about um as, as a style you ended up doing uh, well, yeah, yeah, I think it's exactly that, really, the wedding. So when I first got into, um, well, I've always been a people photographer. I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a car photographer. Um, it, it is the people that interest me. So when I was a teenager, I would flick through magazines or go on Pinterest at the time that would just started out. And I would find all these photographs of people. And a lot of them tended to be from weddings. And they were the things that, you know, the images that inspired me. And the ones I had in, from magazines, I would rip out and stick on my bedroom wall and so I had a massive like wall that was just these photographs of my um you know that inspired me and I think it's just from all of these different aspects that that created my own way of shooting now and you do gravitate towards the thing that interests you the most so this is the thing about what I consider the the, the boring car shots to be able to take a photograph of purely a car 
especially in a studio setting and to make it really interesting and engaging is a skill way beyond my own skill sets because I, I, I could not do that. I, I don't have the, the, the knowledge or the um, creativity. And there are some fantastic photographers that do that so well. They can take what I consider it could be a boring car shot and make it not boring. And that's something I don't think I could do. And so my um, my own style will have come from what I found interesting. And then I realized that I could, could do because of that interest, which is those kind of journalistic um, candid moments um, yeah and and weddings are a, a great way to to get used to shooting those moments and also enjoying them because you are having to look at whatever's happening at that moment and shoot uh, yeah what's available to you the weather may be hammering it down with rain or it might be the oh one of the ones that is in that be like a middle of the summer wedding and it would be like clear blue skies and for photographers you'll know that when the sun is really high in the middle of, the, of summer, it's boring, flat, colourful light. And you just yeah. think, oh, there is no atmosphere in this whatsoever. But the mother of the bride would always go, oh, perfect weather for it, isn't it? And I'm like, mm, <laughs> For you, <quite."> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, later on this evening. But, um, yeah, it's especially when doing, like, formal wedding photographs, um, if you, you've got the sun directly overhead, then you you have this uh, this not very nice um, shadow of the the people's noses on their face, and you get this in every single <laughs> shot. And the mother of the bride will also want to wear her hat, which looks lovely, but her face will suddenly be very dark in comparison to everybody else's faces. And yes, that's when you can start bringing out artificial lighting or reflectors. And but as as I've said, my own inspirations that that doesn't um, that's not my way of working. So that can be a little bit difficult, but. Um, yeah, it is. It, it, they are the experiences that have created the style that I that I currently have, and um, yeah. So, sorry, I've kind of extended that that answer that, for you. That, that's no need to apologise. This is a podcast; they can go on forever. Um, well, until we need lunch. Um, so, you're. Um, I don't want to get too far into it because you, you cover it elsewhere. But you you have um, a, a post processing style. I'm assuming you have a consistent post-processing style rather than doing it on an individual picture by picture basis or yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, yeah basically I, again that so uh, that has also probably come from the wedding inspiration as well so um a lot of weddings have got this kind of softer look about them and i love these really dark moody wedding photographs that you can get and I think oh I like that but I always get a bit <laughs> scared about doing it myself so I ended up so basically I think finding people's work who inspire me um has created this this uh, editing style which I've kind of um yeah produced and if you ever look at any of my older work from say five years ago to the work now You'll never even I you know don't notice the change, but look at the two photographs next to each other, and you can see a difference. So I do tweak my my style depending on how I'm feeling kind of at that moment. But I will then stick with it for you know a year or two years, and it never changes too much. So I think my earlier edits had um, kind of even hazier blacks than they do now. I've, I've blackened my blacks a little bit, okay. and uh, um, but it's uh, yeah it's 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 a style that I've kind of just produced from looking at my own inspirations and thinking okay I really love the way that this photographer does that and I really like the way that this other photographer does this what if I produced those things together in my own work and I mean it's probably a collection of maybe 
20 or 30 different photographers that I've looked at and thought I really like these people because of these reasons and that has produced uh, me and my own work so if you changed say just five of those photographers of that 30 with a totally different five you would produce something completely different to me if that makes sense yeah definitely I, I think we're, we're all the sum of our influences in in some way and I'm not talking okay. about just from a photography point of view I'm talking about from a car point of view I mean our our whole retro ride thing is about sort of modifying cars and that kind of stuff and you're you draw influences from all over the place and it's just how you knit them together and there might be some influences in whatever walk of life you're doing that don't mesh well together mm-hmm. um or you might be that person that finds the key that makes those two disparate things work and i think that's true in photography in in car building in whatever it is you're doing uh, and um it, it's it it would be interesting almost to dissect down what particular bits are, are influencing you to to produce in the, in the in the way you do, but that would be an entirely different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that, would be, yes. that would be a much geekier podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so, how are you finding um, covering sort of events and road trips now compared to? When you first started out, I mean, obviously now you're an ambassador for Nikon, and I, I should imagine um, you, you're slightly better equipped than you once were. So, so what what's kind of the key differences between um, your your sort of what's it ten years of, of being a professional photographer um, uh, or seven? What, I don't know. It's seven years of being a professional photographer. Um, yeah. for, from from then to now, uh, and what what were the key key points of, of um, change for you? Um, so initially when I started, I only had one camera and like two lenses. So I think I had my, my 50 mil was my first lens and then I got 35. And so in terms of gear, I've definitely branched out to two cameras at least, which I'll, I'll have with me um, and a, a couple of other lenses. But in terms of tech wise, that's that's mainly the expansion that, that I've done because I still want to stay true to my own roots of um, you know what had the way I like to work and, the, and my inspirations. So you know, Henri Cartier-Bresson only ever shot with, uh, he's you know, famous for having one camera and his 50 mil lens, and that's what he shot for the majority of his his life's work. And um, so I think in the way that I work, I've probably initially I was a, a, a lot more kind of everything everything was new and exciting, and it still is exciting, but it's no longer new. So I've had to kind of think of it also as a um, it, it gets really boring now. Not, no, not really boring. Like I get really boring now because I have to think now about, okay, in terms of business, um, can I afford to do this? Is this going to be helpful? Um, am I going to enjoy it still? So there's so many events and, and um, shoots that I get invited to, but either they will be unpaid or it's just like a, if you want, come along. Initially, when I first started out, I would have said yes to all of those because I had the time and I had the energy and the excitement to go and do them all. And I still have all of those things. But now that I've become a lot busier, it's kind of also been a bit detrimental. And I think oh, I have to turn down some of these incredible opportunities simply because I don't have the time to do it. And um, yeah, so it's it's a bit of a a shame in that sense. But at the same time, the way that my work has evolved and the way that I've evolved means that I now get invited on some truly incredible shoots and events and um it really makes me have to to pick out the things i think are going to be really enjoyable i think that that's the main thing i i still want to i still make sure that it's never just about business but it has to be enjoyable still because otherwise what's the point um you know there's no point 
doing a, a job that you really don't enjoy regardless of how much either money or, or recognition you're going to get from it because it would just be a really sad job so <laughs> um yeah I think it's yeah the change has been I have to now have to balance the the business side of things as well as the the um yeah what I want to shoot and but still make sure that I, I enjoy the job that I'm doing if if I don't then that's what I think I'll have a big problem so Currently, I've not got to that point. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, hopefully, hopefully, you don't don't get get there at all. I, I guess it's the the opening up of opportunity versus the um, opportunity to actually take people up on those things. Because yes, you know, a, a, everybody would enjoy you being at their um, event, road trip, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you can't do them all, so then you yeah. have to start picking. And then I guess it becomes, as you say, it becomes a, a business decision. So it's a. Uh, um, for, for obviously n- numerous different uh, parameters of, of what you may be able to uh, get out of it or bring to the table with it but uh, yeah it's uh, yeah I, I think it, that's it's why weird. It, 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 exactly it is weird and that's what it does have to boil down to how much fun do I think I'm going to have so um, <laughs> it's uh, yeah which is it's I, I still think that's a fairly kind of a uh, good way to go about things because yeah if you're if you're not enjoying it then again what what is what is the point so um yeah definitely yeah. definitely particularly if you're trying to if you have to be in a creative frame of mind as well exactly yeah. yes because if you if, honestly the, the shoots that I've not enjoyed for whatever reason have created what I you know the work that I, I least like and some some shoots I've gone on and I've never you know shown the work to you know, Instagram, for example, because I don't like what I produce. The client was happy, which is, I suppose, the main the main thing. They produced what they wanted, but I didn't like it as t- in terms of um, m- myself, my my brand, my 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 work. And um, so, you know, there's there's not really a problem with that. But it did it does open your eyes to think, okay, I, I know what I want in my own career, and it's not to earn as much money as I can or you know do whatever in that side of things business you know do really well in business but I want to make sure that for me my values are that I'm producing work that I like as well and I'm proud of yeah that's uh that's perfectly legit- legitimate and I will oh, well, God, I use that phrase again um <laughs> but um I also just put in here um Jason if you're listening that's what Amy Shaw says so do it um anyway uh, um I'm gonna ask you I think two more questions if uh, you have the okay. time. Absolutely. Uh, um, I'm just deciding which order to do them in. I'm going to do them in a weird backwards order. Um, what are your plans for the next five years or so, assuming we're ever allowed out of the house again? Oh, well, that's that's an interesting question now, especially because who knows what's going to happen now? Like, um, I'm used to, I, I can't remember, I had quite a lot of flights last year. And so suddenly this year is completely different. And, um, I suppose. Th- oh, sorry, that, I've got a bit of a rubbish answer. Um, I don't really know for the next five years because everything that has led me up to this point, I had no idea and no plan for. And so I think if I started planning for something, then um, yeah, I, I don't know. If, if it didn't happen, would I be disappointed? Um, mm-hmm. I'd really like to do some more epic road trips. This, the kind of stories that I think I can only do this now whilst... You know, I've not got kids to that rely on me or, you know, I've still got my health, um, things that, that I need those, you know, that freedom to, to do, I'd love to do over the next five years. So things like, you know, um, being to Paris or whatever, um, that would be my, um, yeah, in the next, over the next five years, the thing that I'd, I'd really want to, um, yeah, want to achieve. Get, get those big, big road trips under your belt. And, yes. Uh, the, the memories from them. Uh, so... 
an odd question to end on, but uh, I like it. Uh, what is the fastest you've been in a car? Um, oh, man. Probably going up the hill, I think, at festival speed was... Uh, uh, this is the other thing. I, I, I never managed to look at the actual speedo because I was just staring at the front of the car so much and just going... <laughs> ah! <laughs> um, I would. I think it would be so much fun to have like a, a launch start... I don't know in a McLaren on a, an airfield or something that would be that'd be wicked um the fastest I've gone under my own foot on the accelerator I think I'm really pathetic probably only like 110 120 mile an hour on an airstrip in in a noble I think <laughs> so, oh, that's, that's nice. but that was that was okay um yeah I, some something along those lines but I yeah. will definitely anything that again brings me a little bit of fear I will definitely be up for um so yeah, I mean the the, the other, the, I had a bit of a scary in a in an aeroplane um, last year, almost to to the the day, um, where we had we were in mid loop the loop and we had engine failure at the top of the loop and so Lordy. yeah so, so when we talk about thinking about going fast and fear, it's not the speed but sometimes the situation. So the um the, basically I was I was photographing another another aeroplane and. The plane I was in was a, a, a little light um, aerobatic plane and we were trying to photograph this slightly heavier plane. So we both had to tandem loop next to each other. I would photograph um, as we were going up into the loop because the guy wanted to photograph his plane with the airfield beneath him. And then we did this and we got into loop and because we were going slower than then then we should have been go- not should have been going but slower than the plane would have been happy doing a loop. We got to the top upside down and then there was silence. And I was like, oh, that's, there's no engines. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we had to fall out of the sky for a couple of seconds to right ourselves and restart the, the stalled engines. And that was probably, if we're talking, you know, if I'm imagining about fear moments, um, that would probably be the, the point where I had a little, my fingers went tingly and went on the way down. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, that's probably a familiarity thing as well. I should imagine that someone that's been in, aerobatic planes that's stalled them a few times would be like oh yeah i've just got to do this now and off exactly. we go but because so I, you're not used to doing that it's well, exactly that so i t- completely trust trust my, my pilot friend that, that i was with and like he he does this for a living so um it, but it was the point where he obviously like you felt like it was the um in in the plane you've got the stick in front of you as well so you can control the plane if you want and i felt the stick between my legs go Oh, so let's just quickly write that. That's that's this is a slight problem, and that was the, <laughs> so I could you know because I could see what he was doing behind me um, from yeah. yeah the 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 gadgets going on in front of me, and so yeah that was a uh, a little bit that, that that little bit of silence and that moment of uh, of you can feel the tension of the person that's in control of the thing, and you're like oh this isn't right. <laughs> yeah, that that was the the slight scary, but yeah. it was it was wicked. I, I that that's was such a fun up. day. <laughs> it's great great opportunity. Well, thank you very much for your time. Amy that has been um, very very enjoyable um, I'm hoping uh, those, those that are listening um, um, enjoyed it as well um, got through the camera chat um, if, <laughs> if that was not your thing but uh, uh, it's been uh, very entertaining uh, e- either way from my point of view so thank you very much for your time no, thank you very very much uh, we will be back um, and I'm not sure who's next but um, we will uh, badger Amy for a question for them when we get to it so um, I Uh, We will see you all soon um, and um, uh, keep safe and uh, good luck.